Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, mine was certainly educational, to say the least. And I'll tell you what, that's really where I'll start. I took the opportunity to watch a little bit of television, which is something that uh, I, I don't do, and I certainly don't pay attention to commercials anymore. Haven't for quite some time. But over the weekend, over this past weekend, I decided to watch some college football. And uh, again, you know, the sports in themselves were rather ridiculous, only from the standpoint that it seems like every single game was about three points apart, which was interesting. I mean, every game was close. Uh, a number of the calls that I was watching in particular games were remarkably shady. And what was funny was, is as they're even making these calls on the field, the announcers themselves are saying, well, that was a bad call, but I bet the other team will get a call that goes their way shortly. And then sure enough, a call would go their way, again, in very short order, almost as if to say, uh, you know, they're intentionally being unfair in an effort to sort of correct the mistake that they made previously. I mean, it's really ridiculous. The gaslighting is so hard. But with the games aside, the television commercials themselves, holy lord. If you've, if you, you know, I, I don't know if you watch television or not, but again, as a guy who doesn't watch it, uh, it really is overwhelming. The propaganda is so thick. The hypnotizing is so thick. The lights, the, the music, the sounds, and then again, the constant propaganda, in particular when it comes to eliminating white people. It really is incredible. You're hard-pressed to find in any one commercial a white couple with white children. It really is amazing. And again, I'm not saying that to be divisive. It's a simple observation. In fact, there's one, there was one commercial that stood out, I think, above all others. And there were many that were just atrocious. But one of them, you couldn't miss it. And it was, you know, it was just unmistakable. It was titled the it is titled rather the never ending fan and it's a visa commercial of all things which of course you know credit that's great uh let's use credit cards to buy to buy football jerseys but uh this particular commercial was allegedly based you know in in buffalo new york i guess and it starts off with a mother buying her son a buffalo bills jersey and then it shows them going to a game. They're both white, apparently. It shows them both going to a game, and the you know it's raining, and the Bills lose, and oh, you know what a heartbreak. And then it shows the kid older, and he buys one for his girlfriend. And then it shows them being fans, and then they get older, and then they're a married couple, and now they have a child, and they give it to their child. Again, the same kind of thing. Buffalo Bills jersey, they go into the same shop, buy another one, blah, blah, blah. The point is, is they go through multiple, multiple, multiple generations, and then it gets to the end where it's the grandfather or the dad or whoever it is going back into the store to buy another Buffalo Bills jersey for his daughter, who is obviously mixed race and or adopted. Now, again, I'm not trying to be divisive that's not my point if if that's people's persuasion and th and that's their interest great i just find it absolutely hilarious 
that they take the opportunity within those commercials to do that and to show everybody that on a constant basis. And I'll tell you, I really do have to give props to my mom on this. When I was a kid, you know, and we, and we would watch TV, she would change the channel during particular commercials that were of, of I don't know, uh, you know, a political persuasion or degenerate in some way or whatever it was. But she was very quick on this. She noticed the downslide in these television commercials and even TV shows from very early on, and she would just flat out change the channel to avoid particular commercials when we were kids. I fully get it now. I mean, I fully understand the sexualization of everything. There was another commercial. Again, it blows me away. It's right in your face, too. Uh, it was a Lady Gaga commercial having to do with uh, some kind of medication, some prescription medication of some kind. And there she is, dressed like Satan, you know, some devil-worshipping nightmare, which, of course, she is playing the piano on a stage during one of her concerts, apparently. And again, the piano looks like it's something that's made in hell. It's covered in like horns and all this dark, devilish looking stuff. It's very weird. And, I, and it's awful. And I'm saying to myself, yes, there's nothing more calm than the soothing sounds of Lady Gaga telling me to get a prescription drug and ask my doctor about so-and-so while she's, you know, playing... The hymns from hell. I, I mean, it's it's just nuts. But it was constant. It was every flipping commercial. And I mean, right at, again, you'd you'd watch, <laughs> and it's from all angles too. I might add. I mean, it's from all angles. It really doesn't matter what you think you're about to see in the entirety of a commercial. They always throw you a curveball somewhere along the line. And it's just remarkably confusing, and it, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. They, they're trying to, again, just normalize the melting pot as much as humanly possible. And they're normalizing, again, these idols and, and just the insanity. It's over. It's just overwhelming. Video game commercials, drug commercials, it's just constant. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. It's full-blown hypnosis. A child doesn't stand a chance against something like that. It's just constant. Again, the lights, the, the bright lights, the hypnotic music, the constant messaging that you're seeing. Uh, it's, I don't know. It, it really is overwhelming, and it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. You have to, you have to basically get up and leave the room. And uh, I don't know. It's, it's not something I do often. I, of course, don't do it at all, but... Uh, you know, I watch the Ohio State-Michigan game, and I, I watch it without emotion. I root for Ohio State, but they lost, and I don't care. It's not one of these things where I bash one, one group or another. Used to. I mean, again, I used to be a brainwashed goon when it came to all that, but not anymore. I'm just indifferent about the entire thing, so I don't know. It's just too much. It's just way too much. So it's exhausting for a completely different reason, basically, but I wanted to mention that. Okay. There's also this, and I found this interesting from last week, but again, just another gaslighting story that popped up out of nowhere. It's almost as if everybody's forgotten that Dolly Parton is a monster. Dolly Parton, uh, apparently, I don't know, was it, a, was it the Thanksgiving football game, I guess, and, and dressed up like a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader, and everybody was like, oh my gosh, look at her. She looks so great, blah, blah, blah. This is the same woman who took money 
from, what was it, AstraZeneca or Moderna? One of the two. And then, of course, called everybody cowards for not taking the shots. When people clearly exhibit the fact that they have amnesia and that they seem to forget what particular people do and have done and have said, and now all of a sudden that's water under the bridge, that kind of stuff really bothers me. It really bothers me. Again, someone listened to Dolly Parton. Someone listened to her and took the shots. And I'm certain that that someone is probably dead now, if not permanently injured as a result. They heard her call people cowards. They were like, I'm not a coward. I'm going to do what Dolly says. I'm not going to think for myself or read anything. I love Dolly, have my whole life. And she, she took the shot. I saw it myself on TV, and she's wearing a mask too. I'm going to do the same thing. And then they did, and now they're dead. Again, this is not water under the bridge. A person cannot have amnesia like this in a war. It's just, it's beyond disgusting. And uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have any tolerance for that. Again, Gateway Pundit is the worst. They're the absolute worst. They ran that story of her dressed up like a cow, uh, Cowboys cheerleader at the top of their website. And then again, all over social media, it was like, hey, look, Dolly, don't forget, Dolly Parton took money from these drug companies to push the shots. That's why she was doing it. She was getting huge kickbacks, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, again, you can't have it both ways. But we shouldn't be paying any attention to the individuals that are responsible for the deaths of copious amounts of people and patting them on the back like they've accomplished something. They haven't accomplished anything. They've just worked for the enemy. Of course, she's always been a propagandist for a very long time, but even so, I just thought that was remarkably odd, and the double standard was just crazy. So anyway, um, let me see here. There's this too, and I have plenty of education things to bring up, believe me. I'm going to get into the Governor Hochul stuff and a number of other things, but there was this too, and I'm mentioning this because I brought this up previously. Uh, you, you may recall... An individual in Florida, West Palm Beach area, more specifically, John Minadeo. He, uh, he of course, was he goes by Handsome Truth on Gab. Again, his last name could be Minadeo. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. I've messed it up before, so my apologies. Either way, he goes by Handsome Truth uh, on Gab. And he was sentenced to, I believe, 25 days in jail, where he was in a cell with five other guys one toilet, and he was, again, charged with littering and found guilty of littering. I believe the charges, now that he's out of jail, have been dropped completely. And I listened to him describe this very briefly on his show, and he openly stated that in the two and a half hours of body cam footage and ring bell footage that the police looked through and that all the lawyers looked through and that the judge herself look through and that the jury apparently had access to on none of that footage did it even show him throwing any of these flyers in the, that are of course placed inside of these baggies because it's educational material people unfortunately you know categorize it as propaganda and a thousand other things but they aren't it's it's factual information and again, no one can refute what's on the actual documents themselves because it's all true. But in the two and a half hours of, of body cam footage, they never once showed him 
throwing the flyers. So he went to jail for nothing. He was put in jail based on people's feelings, not the law. He didn't break a law. It, it, again, not litter. It isn't litter. It was all based on feelings. The reason I'm mentioning this again and, and bringing that up, of course, now that, now that he's out of jail, is that this is the larger plan of what they want for everyone. Again, over the last three and a half years, what we've seen is, is we've seen a number of individuals, of course, have their rights completely removed in public forum sessions, in speeches, whether that be city council meetings or school board meetings, et cetera, et cetera. That kind of stuff also, when you limit someone's ability to speak, is, uh, is unconstitutional. That's putting it mildly. And, and one of the advancements, of course, that these individuals make, and they're all Marxists and they're all communists, and some of them happen to be Jewish, but not all. And, and the fact is, is that they, they make these little inroads where they will change a policy or, again, they'll, they'll scream foul or they'll start to whine about a particular thing. And, and one of those methods that they've used, of course, which we're all aware of within school board meetings and city council meetings is their sign-up sheets. I mean, they have the sign-up sheets in an effort to not just dox people, which I'm certain school boards and city councils do with regularity, but it's also just to censor the individual. So they'll skip over a person who is, who's signed up on a sign-in sheet to speak in an open forum just because they don't like them or based on previous comments that they've made in the past. Again, these little inroads that they make that are stripping people of their God-given rights are, are the much larger problem here. And the individuals who are behind this and the scheming and the meddling that takes place to strip us of those rights, that's not going to go away. This is going to continue. And again, you know, th th there's a whole lot of theorizing going on right now about, and it has been going on for quite some time, I should say, I've, I've certainly done it here is what's going to happen between now and the next election. I mean, take for example, you know, recently now we have what? We have Governor Newsom and Ron DeSantis engaging in an open debate in Georgia. Why is this happening? This has never happened before. Not during a presidential election eve year, if that's what you want to call it, whatever a person wants to call it, but it's never happened. Ron DeSantis is at the bottom of every poll. Gavin Newsom is not desirable among anyone. Why are two governors debating about something in Georgia during, during this election quote-unquote time? I, I just, it makes no sense, other than there has to be a scheme that's taking place right now in order to bypass the primaries in some way. That they're just going to flat out pull someone's card, Biden's going to be gone, Newsom comes in, and then maybe they steal the primary from Donald Trump or attempt to, and the media again goes all in and just says, well, that's the way that it is. And yes, he was ahead in the polls, but ultimately comes down to the voters and the voters have decided that it's Ron DeSantis. It makes zero sense. So we're certainly living in unprecedented times. That goes without saying. And everybody has, of course, said that repeatedly. It just, again, continues to beg the constant question, what are we going to see in the future here? Again, the turmoil in Ireland is a prime example. 
It's an absolute prime example. There have always been illegal aliens in Ireland. And yes, we, we fully understand that it's overwhelming there now and that the laws are being purposely written and catered to them in an effort to discriminate against native-born Irish people and Irish citizens. We also know, again, that illegals have openly attacked Irish citizens in the past, whether, again, they're, they're jailed for the same amount of time that a natural-born Irish citizen is or not is another matter. But at the exact same time, a group of five kids gets stabbed by illegal aliens and then all of, or a illegal alien, and then all of a sudden riots start breaking out, and that seems to upset the Irish individuals. Well, good. It should. It should outrage them. It shouldn't take something like that, though, in order to outrage a group of people, let alone natural-born citizens who are law-abiding who live in a country. But when I saw the footage of Irish citizens again burning their own property and taking to the streets, I thought to myself, good, you should take to the streets, but I wouldn't burn my own property. Again, I would go after these politicians. You have to get in these people's faces. And again, I've seen footage of them doing that too. And that's fantastic. And they got to keep it up. They have to keep it up. They aren't going to be able to vote their way out of this. Just like we aren't going to be able to vote our way out of this either. Something dramatic certainly has to happen here. Something has to change. And it can't, again, it can't be us just taking to the streets and screaming at the top of our lungs and then everybody goes back home and you know, the politicians say, well, they had their fun. We'll just wait them out like we always do, and then we'll just ram home whatever we want to ram home in the meantime. Something else has to give here. There's too much going on around the world, and too many people's rights are being stripped away on a constant basis. Something else has to happen. Again, I fully understand we live in unprecedented times, but that requires unprecedented measures. It requires an unprecedented wake-up moment for people. So, if mass deportation takes place in the United States, that's fantastic and we need to see that. And if people are getting in the way of that happening, well, they need to be arrested too and send them back with them on the exact same airplane as far as I'm concerned. But that has to happen across the entire world. Every country has to be its own country with its own people. That's the whole point. So, I don't know. I could keep rambling about it, and I know it's redundant because endless people have brought this up over the course of centuries and centuries, but something else has to give here. Something's got to give. Because again, well, let me mention this story. This is part of it, too. This is from ABC News back on uh, November 21st, and I saved this one because, again, it's, it's remarkably hypocritical and totally awful. But it's titled Police Raid Homes of people accused of posting anti-Semitic speech on social media. Again, the I find this beyond hypocritical from a historic standpoint and a, a truthful historic standpoint. This right here, again, is where you would normally hear those on the left and even those on the proverbial right scream the term, the derogatory term Nazi at the top of their lungs. They'd say, well, they're, they're just like the Nazis. But they're not saying that this time around. Isn't that strange? They're not saying it when it comes to Germany's own police forces going into the homes of, of natural-born Germans who are criticizing people online 
and learning about them online and then speaking out against them online only to then have their door kicked in and be arrested. It's beyond outrageous. But again, even if somebody made some kind of a comparison, which would be a false historic comparison between this and the National Socialist Party back in the 30s, 1930s, they're not the same thing. Back then, if, as I've said here on the show, and many of you already know, is if a door got kicked in, it was because they were communists. And they were literally fighting against the government. They were trying to subvert the government and keep a free people from being free. That's not what this is, though. This is different. This should be flat out showing everybody who controls these, these countries' governments from the top down and from the inside out. Here's what the subtitle of this says. It says, German authorities have raided the homes of 17 people in the state of Bavaria accused of spreading anti-Semitic hate speech and threats targeting Jews online. Let's see. It says, according to the Bavarian criminal police, the suspects were 15 men and two women aged between 18 and 62. German news agency DPA reported police questioned the suspects and confiscated evidence from their homes including cell phones and laptops, the agency said. The suspects were said to have celebrated the attacks by Palestinian militant group Hamas on Israel on October 7th and were accused of spreading hate speech against Jewish people on social media using symbols of banned terrorist organizations, DPA reported. Here's the other thing. You've probably caught this. The alleged individuals who flew in on their... uh, their parachutes or their hand gliders or whatever the hell that was, that, that whole story about uh, you know, alleged Hamas attackers dropping in on a, on, a, on a Jewish concert with Jews dancing around and doing what they were doing and then indiscriminately just shooting at them and murdering them all. None of that happened, as it turns out. There are more and more reports coming out that it was IDF soldiers who were flying through the skies and indiscriminately shooting into the crowd. And then they were just like, well, it was Hamas. When in fact, it was probably uh, the Israeli army. Again, endless quotations and, and firsthand accounts of individuals saying, oh yeah, we were told to do this. That the IDF was told to do this. And then again, just blame it on Hamas, and then, well, everybody will just take the bait. Apparently, that's what happened. Again, back to this article, just to wrap it up, though. It says, Germany has strict rules against hate speech. Raids in connection with the publication of banned symbols, such as swastikas and other Nazi symbols, are not uncommon. The denial of the Holocaust in which the Nazis and their henchmen murdered six million European Jews is also banned. None of that's real. <laughs> none, of it, none of it is real. None of it happened. Laws are being made and enforced based on things that don't exist. This should bother everybody. Doesn't matter one's persuasion one way or another. And that, of course, leads us back to the homeland here. And Governor Hochul, I can't even believe I'm saying this, but she's made two moves in the last week that are an absolute abomination if they are to be believed. And I have no reason to doubt it. Uh, She's openly stated this, and even judges have apparently backed her play. 
This first one has to do with isolation and quarantine procedures. So let me read through this as kind of quickly as I can. This is from lionessofjuda.substack.com, and it's titled Martin Armstrong Rule 2.13, Isolation and Quarantine Procedures. The state can now force anyone into quarantine for any reason as this is not limited to the coronavirus. Again, <laughs> there is no virus. There never was. More rules based on things that don't exist. And now it's applying to everybody in New York. So this was from Martin Armstrong on November 22nd. It says the appellate division of the 4th Judicial Department reversed the Borello lawyer uh, tag uniting New York State versus Hochul ruling, Senator George Borello, Assemblyman Chris Tag, if I'm saying that right, Assemblyman now Congressman Michael Lawyer, or Lawler rather, and the Citizens Organization uniting New York State had initially sued New York Governor Kathy Hochul and the New York State Department of Health over Rule 2.13 isolation and quarantine procedures. What does this mean? It says the state can now force anyone into quarantine for any reason as, the, as this is not limited to the coronavirus. It says the government has now the legal authority to remove residents from their homes and force them into quarantine camps. There is no age restriction. Children could be removed from their homes without parental consent. They do not need to warn citizens when they are coming or how long they must quarantine. You will be required to take any steps the state mandates, including taking medications against your will. There is no due process, no court hearing, and no rule of law as the government may now abduct citizens in the name of public health. Now here's the thing. Again, I can feel the knots just building up in my back and my neck right now as, I, as I'm thinking about this. This right here should prove to everyone that Governor Hochul needs to hang. There's no other way around it. The, the very proposal of such an unconstitutional thing, whatever this is, should be an immediate execution in our country. And I mean immediate. The individuals that put forth such a communistic Bolshevik plan like this have got to be destroyed, along with every single individual who is associated with Governor Hochul. They all have to be wiped out. You've heard me comment on this before, by the way, and it has to do with the fact that lawyers will put forth you know, some kind of an illegal action or a judge will rule uh, you know, in one way or another. Or a company will, will try to make an illegal order stick, and then all of a sudden a judge says, no, you can't do that, that's completely unconstitutional and totally illegal. And then there's no repercussion for the individual or the firm or the group of individuals who put together whatever plan that they put forth that was ruled unconstitutional. It's just back to work like always. Ho-hum, we did something that was completely illegal, but what's the big deal? Well, back to the drawing board. There's never any consequences. Something like this is completely outrageous. It says this too at the end. It says, of course, in summary rather, it says you may not even take a test to determine if you are sick. Well, the tests are fake. So 
again, even if they gave you a test, they could completely falsify it because they're already falsified. But it says the state has full authority over you and your body. This is one of the most restrictive and oppressive pieces of legislation to pass in U.S. history and nullifies our freedoms. There is one last chance to save New York, the Court of Appeals. If they can do this in New York, then they can do it anywhere. We must raise awareness of what is actually going on before it's too late. Here's the other thing. Another observation I made over the weekend, and I wasn't the only one to make it. I was traveling again to my brother's house, and uh, that requires travel on Interstate 70, which stretches across the, the, the center of Ohio. On that trip, if you look on the right and the left-hand side of the highway, you'll start, certainly the closer to the city and the closer to Columbus you get, but it's really in between Dayton and Columbus, but again, closer to Columbus if memory serves. On the right and left-hand side of the highway, for the very first time, I was seeing all of this open land, and I'm talking like freshly plowed land, okay? It's not farmland. It's just open land. There are earth movers everywhere, bulldozers everywhere. There are construction, you know, those construction trailers where somebody's clearly running the job. The foreman is there doing what they do, but it's we're talking about miles and miles and miles of land. And I'm saying to myself, what in the hell are they building? What are they going to build here? Again, I don't think they're building Walmart super centers. I don't think that they're building, well, unless they're planning on turning them into prisons. Um, you know, there, there are lots of scenarios in, in prisons themselves, perhaps, who knows? But are they going to put up, quote unquote, affordable housing? Are they going to be quarantine camps? I have no idea. I don't know. It's just highly suspicious. Again, there are less people working today than ever before, at least in recent memory. There are less humans on Earth as a result of these bioweapon shots. So what on Earth are they possibly building that they think is going to be inhabited by a group of people? Again, I... I don't know what they're building. I didn't see any kind of a story on on television about it. Uh, you know, I, I haven't I haven't taken a deep dive into it. I just find it remarkable that construction continues to occur here as the population continues to drop. And again, are they for illegals? Is this the quote unquote affordable housing that we know to be free housing for illegal aliens? Could be. I have no reason to doubt it. But who knows? Again, if anybody wants to email me or hit me up in the comments section regarding that, whether or not you've seen that off of major interstates or major highways where, where you live, I, I'd like to know. And if you have the answer, I'd really like to know that too. It's just beyond strange. And again, we're not talking about a parking lot. That's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, like I said, miles and miles and miles of dirt moving. Where, where it's it's clear that there's a lot going on. You don't see a lot of people, of course, working these particular jobs, nor would you when I was traveling uh, on those particular days. But it does make you wonder what in the hell's going on. Again, I, I, I don't think it's a mall. They're not putting up a 1980s shopping mall. It just has the feeling of being something way more nefarious than that. So just wanted to mention that and bring that to your attention. Okay. 
Here's the second move Governor Hochul has made as we slide right into the education stuff here. This is from the Washington Examiner. Hochul announces development of K-12 media literacy tools to spot conspiracy theories. Mind control. More so than what already exists in K-12 schools. What could possibly go wrong? Again, this isn't even a new thing, unfortunately. This is happening in numerous states, specifically California, where they've already passed something like this. It says this here. It says Governor Kathy Hochul, Democrat, New York, shocking, announced Tuesday, last Tuesday, the development of media literacy tools aimed to teach kindergarten through 12th grade students in the Empire State how to spot conspiracy theories and hate. When the government gets to decide, ladies and gentlemen, what is true and what is not, therein lies your problem. And there, of course, identifies your enemy. It says, quote, this will teach students and even teachers to help understand how to spot conspiracy theories, misinformation, disinformation, and online hate, Hochul said in her announcement. Again, I find this uh, beyond disturbing because it brings about numerous questions. Situationally, uh, also, in particular when it comes to the actual school environment itself. So first of all, who is it that's going to be in charge of providing this kind of professional development to a school district. Again, we, we can certainly take a pretty darn good guess that the CIA is certainly behind this to a great extent, that individuals working with the CIA, even on the outside, are certainly, uh, are certainly a part of this. And again, if anybody needs any more proof that the CIA is directly involved in what goes on in American K-12 education, I think this is your proof right here. It's pretty undeniable that, that that's certainly the case. It continues, it says, quote, start talking about what we're seeing out there, Hochul added, quote, give the teachers the tools they need to help these conversations in school. Well, let's talk about that for a second, too. What kinds of conversations are going to happen in these environments? Are students just going to bow down to whatever is being taught or discussed inside of a classroom? Or, as you've heard me say, are they going to whip out their cell phone and look at the teacher and, and say, you're absolutely wrong? That's not true. But what you just said isn't correct. And then is there going to be an actual dialogue back and forth? Or is it going to be, you know, shut up, Jimmy, sit down, and if you don't stop talking and disagreeing with the teacher, then we're going to suspend you. This is Bolshevism. This is the normal normalization of Bolshevism. And again, it, uh, it should go without saying at this point. It says, young New Yorkers will become inoculated from hatred by learning how to discern between digital fact and fiction, the governor said. This training will help prepare students for a, quote, very fast-moving and often confusing world. The Media Literacy Toolkit for K-12 schools will be available to public schools across the state, and it comes as data collected by the New York State Division of Homeland Security. There you go. Homeland Security's involved, so there's your propaganda and enemy right there. And Emergency Services, it says, reported increases in online hate and speech against Jewish and Muslim communities, according to a release from the governor's office. Not a peep about white people, though. Not a single peep about anybody hating on white people. Weird. 
It says, quote, the rising tide of hate is putting all New Yorkers at risk, and as governor, I'm committed to tackling this crisis head on. We're deploying physical security resources, expanding our threat management and assessment teams, calling for stronger action from social media companies, and encouraging families and communities to come together to fight hate. New York has always been a beacon of hope, tolerance, and inclusivity, and we will be defined by how we come together to condemn hate in all forms, unquote. And oh, by the way, if you disagree with us, then we'll throw you in one of those quarantine camps because I just signed into law something that's completely unconstitutional and makes you a prisoner in your own state. Yes, line up to take the shots, and oh, too bad if you have an allergic reaction, you don't have a choice. All because you disagreed with something. It's one of the easiest ways to tell that they're pathological liars, is because they do it so frequently and they don't even hear themselves speak. They don't even hear themselves talk anymore. They'll pass a law over here, stripping you of your rights, and then over here they'll tell you that your protection is their number one concern. Again, American K-12 schools say the same thing all of the time, in particular, during and after someone gets their head kicked in. Then they're like, well, yeah, safety and security is our number one concern, and it's always been that way, and that'll never change. Yes, people are bleeding over here, and massive fights have broken out, but trust us. We're government, and we're here to help you. It's beyond nuts. Here's another one, too. A nice uh, combination of both government, school, and child trafficking. I'm sure you heard of this one last week. Senior Pentagon official at office overseeing elementary schools arrested for human trafficking. This is from the GellerReport.com. It says the DODEA operates rather 160 schools in eight districts located in 11 foreign countries, seven states, and two territories across 10 time zones. There are nearly 900,000 military-connected children of all ages worldwide, of which more than 66,000 are enrolled in DODEA schools and served by more than 8,000 educators. Steve Hovenek, I'm saying that right, is the Chief of Staff for the Department of Defense Education Activity Americas, or DODEA. And he was one of many individuals apparently arrested for child trafficking. It says that he was a top administrator for the Pentagon's school system in the Americas region and was arrested on November 15th in human trafficking sting in Coweta County, Georgia, the Daily Caller News Foundation has learned. He's 64 years old of Sharpsburg, Georgia, and was arrested on suspicion of pandering, according to a press release by the Coweta County Sheriff's Office provided to the DCNF. Eva Tender, administrator for the Sheriff's Office, said that Hovenick told the jail staff he worked for the Department of Defense located in Peachtree City, Georgia where the Department of Defense Education Activities Americas Division is located, according to the agency's website. A booking photo of Hovenick, which the Coweta County Sheriff's Office shared with DCNF, shows a man who closely resembles the man in DODEA America's Chief of Staff, Stephen Hovenick's biography, on the agency's website. Photos of both men show a distinctive scar across the chin. Yeah, it's him. There's no doubt about it. 
It says that he was one of more than two dozen arrests over a two-day operation meant to locate victims of human trafficking. The Noonan Times-Herald reported six women identified as victims of human trafficking were rescued in the operation, which saw arrests on charges of pandering drug possession, prostitution, and pimping, according to the press release. So we have government, we have government officials, we have government creating education departments and separate education entities to, of course, oversee schools, which are loaded with children, prime for the picking, for child trafficking. And one of the individuals in charge of the entire operation for the government was doing this very thing. Everybody thinks that this won't happen to their kid. Everybody just chalks this one up to, well, that's a terrible thing that our government was doing, and oh well, back to our school where nothing happens, and there is no government intervention, we promise, because we would know, because we're vigilant human beings. It's happening everywhere. This kind of thing happens in endless districts. Children don't just disappear. They're taken. They're stolen. They're sold. And our government is responsible for it. This should be clear evidence to anyone that state departments of education are directly involved and indirectly involved through, again, their chains of communication, where they give their money, etc., etc., in child trafficking. This is what they do, and this should not shock anyone. Again, if you go back to my last episode where I was describing the whistleblowing scenario, there was a piece of that story I left out. Uh, and I did it quite accidentally, even though I've mentioned the story before, but I want to revisit it because it's it's a perfect example of how a child can be taken by government and then disappear based on a lie. You may recall in that story when I was talking about the female school teacher who ran her shoulder into a female student and knocked her to, to the ground during a fire drill. There were two elements of, of the wrap-up of that story that that I forgot. Um, but I'll, I'll revisit it very quickly here. After I got done meeting that teacher on the staircase, at the end of the day, we went down, uh, down the staircase and I was letting her have it verbally in front of a few other people. There were some other witnesses there, but it was loud. So not everybody could hear, which was fine. She ended up walking past me when I was done and she walked right into the principal's office and told the principal what I had accused her of which was factually accurate because, again, it was on security camera and there's no way that she could deny it. Either way, she actually told the principal what had occurred and said that I was making it up and that I was lying about it. And that if the student ends up saying anything to her or the parents do, then, then they're lying about it also. The reason that I know she did this was because I was told that she had told other staff members also during their lunch break and that they were describing what it that that she was openly describing what had happened and what I had accused her of. Now again, like I said, it was undeniable. It happened and she knocked her over intentionally and and that's what happened. What happened the next day, however, was even more bizarre. The very next day, that same female student was in that woman's classroom and it was I believe a 7th grade math class. She was in her classroom and she reached behind her chair and she ended up scraping her hand on a loose bolt that was on the back of the chair. 
and again, she was, she was bleeding a little bit, apparently, from the palm of her hand. She walked up to the teacher's desk, and she asked the teacher if she could go to the nurse's office to get a Band-Aid for her hand. And she told her what had happened. She said, I, I scraped it on the back of, your, of, of the chair that I'm sitting in because there's a loose bolt there. She said, yeah, go down to the nurse and get a Band-Aid. On her way to the nurse, the teacher called the nurse and told the nurse over the phone that she suspected that the kid's parents had put a cigarette out on her hand and burned her hand and that it was, in fact, a cigarette burn. She fabricated this entire thing. The kid's parents didn't even smoke. And then when the student made their way into the nurse's office, the nurse asked the student, they said, is this a cigarette burn? Or is, you know, th that doesn't really look like a scrape mark. Is that something else? The student looked at her and said, looked at the nurse and said, no, I just scraped it on the back of, her, of the back of my chair in her classroom on a loose bolt. That's what I told her. And that's what happened. She was like, cigarette burn? What are you talking about? They almost got CPS involved, and they almost did this, and I should say the teacher fabricated this entire story in an effort to discredit the student, so that if the student was saying at any time to anybody that she had been knocked down by a teacher during a fire drill, then this student can't be trusted because this student is you know, lying about something, and the parents can't be trusted either because... They're apparently putting cigarettes out on their own child. I mean, it, it, that shouldn't make any sense to anybody because it doesn't make any sense. But that's what happened. And again, they almost got CPS involved. Now, we know all about CPS, do we not? We know that they'll take a kid based on an allegation. They don't need any proof. They just need plenty of allegations and even one allegation. We heard from so-and-so that you did this to your child. So we're here to take your child away for X amount of time, and there's nothing that you can do about it. And that right there is how kids, quote-unquote, disappear. That's how they get sex trafficked. That's it. All of these government agencies are working hand-in-hand -hand with one another to do these kinds of things. And the only way to distance yourself from it, again, is to leave these systems completely. It's the only way. To save your child from any kind of nefarious action, government intervention, or influence that they're consistently having over the family to normalize this kind of behavior. And yes, people that work inside of these schools are doing this constantly. They're doing whatever they can to throw everybody under the bus in an effort to protect themselves. It's beyond disgusting, but our government is involved. State departments of education are directly involved and indirectly involved in child trafficking. No wonder they don't want whistleblowers being certified school teachers. No wonder they don't want whistleblowers when it comes to child abuse working within their environments. It shouldn't shock anybody. Now, this leads me to another subject, which again, shouldn't shock anyone. And it's one that actually is in the news with regularity, but it also seems to come in waves, or at least the media decides to separate these stories from time to time and then group them all together as if it's all of a sudden happening again. But it has to do with, again, female teachers having sex with their students. Now, I received this from our Louisiana educator, and they sent this my way, and it was, again, a Jesse Waters presentation where he had Chris Hansen on talking about why 
you know, why people do this, why school teachers do this. Of course, they blame society. They blame pornography, and rightfully so. They blame uh, loneliness among females and how they're surrounded by younger males who they have influence with and influence over. That the uh, female teachers are by and large receiving attention, the likes of which they've never received before. Uh, some of these teachers, of course, are married and have children, which is even worse. And uh, there's a number of them highlighted here, but let me read through this very quickly. It was titled Teachers Targeting Teens, and I think it was from MJ Truth on Rumble. But there's this Ricky Lynn Laughlin, who worked as a special ed teacher in Missouri, and she allegedly sent naked pictures and videos of herself to a 16-year-old student over Snapchat, and then asked him to send pictures of himself in return. He says Ricky kissed him and invited him over to her house to have sex while her husband was out of town. And of course, they've been arrested. And rightfully so. Uh, another one, Reagan Anderson, a former teacher and coach from South Carolina, is facing two counts of sexual battery on a student, and she allegedly used Snapchat to send the teen naked photos. A Lydia Pinto, a high school gym teacher and coach, who apparently victimized another male student also, uh, apparently the victim reported them and stated that Lydia abused him when he was around 14 and continued doing so until his senior year. It goes on and says that these are criminals, these female teacher predators, but they're not smart criminals and they leave a digital footprint. And some are suggesting it's because of the COVID pandemic. Uh, there you go. That old yarn, yet again. People were remote for so long, so they got lonely and blah, blah, blah. It says, in female predator cases, they don't like the anonymity. They like to know their victim. So this is the case where they see their victim, and then they have power and control over their victim, and they're reliving this fantasy. And what we're also seeing is a lot of fetish porn involving teacher-student sex. And so if you're into that sort of thing, how long is it going to be before the fantasy is no longer good and you have to act out on it? That was Chris Hansen's take. Here's my take. Again, I, th I think Chris Hansen even got wrapped up in getting busted uh, with a minor at one point, or maybe not. Maybe that was just a rumor. He was the old to catch a predator guy. Either way, you've heard me mention this on the show before, but let me bring up the actual school environment itself. There are a variety of reasons as to why teachers do this, whether they be male or female. Yes, it is a power thing to some extent. Yes, it's an influence thing. From the minor's perspective, what the minor tends to do is the minor can engage in a certain level of attention-seeking behavior because they are seeing the teacher with more regularity than they're even seeing their own friends. They're seeing the teacher with more regularity than they're seeing their own family members. And as a result of that, they feel, as students, like they know the teacher better than anybody else that, that they know. So they immediately start to, again, fantasize about having a relationship with the person or whatever it may be. That's one of the major reasons from the student's perspective, I think. Of course, they're hormonal and a number of other things related to the chemical imbalances within teenagers and things of that nature. With that aside for a second, if you look at it from the adult's point of view, or the alleged adult's point of view, 
the environment itself lends itself to that kind of behavior because they're seeing it with regularity among students. And they're also seeing it with regularity even among staff members. Now, nepotism and having relationships between staff members within a building or within a school district in some cases is against policy. And I don't want to say illegal, but it's it's certainly against district code of conduct. So there are some districts, again, where you can't date nor marry individuals that you work with. I think this is a good idea. I've always thought this is a good idea, but at the exact same time, you know, freedom is freedom and, and that's the way that it is when it comes to consenting of age adults. However, when it's between the teacher and the student, when when these kinds of predatory relationships begin, it has more it has, I think, less to do with a power struggle and more to do with the kinds of degenerate behaviors that exist in the environment itself. They're overwhelming. And they're so overwhelming that they become so normalized that the the lines of right and wrong get blurred among the weak-minded, I would say. Again, you've heard me say that American K-12 school environments are typically run like sororities and fraternities, by and large. Again, you, you have all kinds of relationship behaviors that take place out in the open in front of other individuals and sometimes behind closed doors. It's just, it, it, it's not designed to be a successful environment, frankly, for anybody. This also is, again, why there's no learning taking place from the student's perspective. There's no learning taking place from the adult perspective. It's, a, by and large, a degenerate environment because, again, it's, it's sort of a microcosm of, of the larger society. And it's so, I would say, influenced by society that when things like this occur, it frankly shouldn't shock anybody. They tend to just be unprofessional environments. So again, I, I know that it's categorized as rape, and it, and it certainly is, regardless of how young the individual is who thinks that they're consenting to something. It's certainly a sexual crime. The individuals engaging it are sexual predators. There's no doubt about it, because again, their judgment is clouded, clearly, or a switch has gone off in their brain that clearly can't differentiate between right and wrong, or what's legal and what isn't, or what's morally sound and what isn't. And, uh, and, and that's just the way that the environment tends to work. But again, there's another element to this too, which you've heard me mention before in the past, and it has to do with individuals going back to school to be school employees, specifically teachers, in an effort to either rewrite their past or relive the old days. This is an actual motive that some people have when they want to enter the education profession. This, of course, was not my motive at all. I hated school. I became a school teacher because I wanted to make it easier and more objective for my students than what it was when I was a student. That was the, that was the entire point. That's why I became a school teacher was, again, to make it more safe for people. Not less safe, but unfortunately, for some, they do it to go back to again engage in not just a power struggle now, but they know that they have influence and they have influence in a way that they probably didn't have when they themselves were students in school. And maybe they did have it, 
when they were students in school, and that's an addictive kind of behavior and, and basically an addictive characteristic of who they are. They, they view that time in their life as being the best time ever, so they can't imagine doing anything else or being in another environment, and all the routines are the same, and they love all those routines, and X, Y, Z. They're not there to consistently learn to be better people and learn the truth about their subject and then relay that to their students. That, that, that's really, again, why people should want to be educators is because they want to be lifelong students. They want to learn consistently, but this is not, this is not it. This, again, is why, and I'm you know, not necessarily knocking these individuals, but this is one of the reasons why you'll have former high school football players, again, specifically go back or whatever sport they may have played on or whatever thing they did when they were in, in, in middle school or high school, but they'll go back to that school sometimes the exact school itself, and be an employee of that same district that they graduated from, and then do the same things, basically, or get involved in the same things that they did when they were a child. But now they're just doing it as an adult. Me, personally, I think that's pathetic. I've always thought it was pathetic. But that's just me, and and that's just my take, and that's my opinion. But it's a multi-pronged thing here. Again, it's Yes, it's society, but it's also lifelong propaganda and life, you know, being in these degenerate environments for a very long time. And then again, those judgment, uh, you know, those judgment markers and those judgment lines get blurred and they end up making the mistake of a lifetime. So anyway, that's my two cents on that. That, you know, that, that stuff isn't going to go away. And unfortunately, again, it even occurs among adults. Endless adults work in these environments too, and they don't think to themselves for a minute that, you know, getting in relationships with coworkers is going to back up on them or back up on somebody else that they know, or that that's going to have a negative impact on them in the environment itself. You've heard me say that I never got involved with anybody that I worked with, not ever, because immediately I was just like, okay, if something doesn't work, we still have to work with one another, and what a nightmare that would be. And it, it just never happened. I think what this also shows is the lack of teacher education that actually takes place. This is also an indictment on what goes on at the university level in teacher education departments. They don't even approach subjects like this. They spend next to little time in their departments talking about what to do and what not to do in the job itself. Yes, there's your subject matter and, oh, you got to write a lesson plan and what activity are you going to do on this day and that day? All that stuff is is so easy. It, it, it's so straightforward. Again, it, it takes a creative person and a very creative person to be effective at it, and not everybody can do that. But the one thing that should take place in every teacher education department, and it doesn't, is what to do with the actual job itself. How to behave, how to carry yourself, what to look like, how to dress, how to speak what to engage in, what not to engage in, what to pay attention to, what to look out for. These are not the things that get discussed. These are not things that get talked about. They don't read books about it, even though endless books exist about it. I'm not the only person who's written books about these kinds of things. I've mentioned the book on the show before, Cyber Traps for Educators. That's an excellent book. Anybody should read that book, even if a person has never been in the education profession. 
it's an absolute indictment on how you should be very careful if completely avoid all social media and all technology for the most part as a school teacher. Now, I understand that's very difficult for people, but I remember again back when I taught finding it absolutely hilarious that school administrators and even school teachers would be on Facebook and, and Twitter and whatever else, MySpace and all this other crap. I couldn't believe it. They had no idea that they were being made fun of. They had no idea that they were being mocked. They had no idea that students and minors were actually following them on social media without their knowledge, that they would pretend to be somebody that they aren't only to follow a particular teacher in an online platform. And then, of course, either stalk that particular teacher or make comments regarding one thing or another. And then, of course, even turn in the teacher or administrator for doing something or saying something online that the student was intentionally trying to catch them saying. Again, it's, it's a dangerous game, but this is not something that's ever taught within the teacher education profession, which is exactly why uh, you have the high turnover rate that you have. So. That's my ramble on that. I mean, again, it's an endless subject, but it's just recklessness. It just has to do with professional recklessness. And if you're not telling people about all of this, and at the very bottom line, you're not saying to teacher education students before they become teachers, look, if you find yourself being attracted to your students, you need to quit. You need to just quit and find another profession. Go do something else. Because you're in the wrong line of work. But, as you've heard me say, predators go where the prey is. And when the prey is all in one fish tank, called an American K-12 school, fishing for it's not that difficult. So, there you go. There was also this, one last thing regarding education. This was absolutely hilarious. And this, too, not new. <laughs> it's it's outrageous that it continues to happen and people think that it's somehow going to fix things academically speaking of course it doesn't but this was from Sunday on Zero Hedge it was titled segregated classrooms spark controversy as proponents criticize quote unquote white standard it says school districts across the country primarily in major democrat run cities such as Chicago Seattle San Francisco and Oakland have been offering segregated classes in the hopes of battling a decades-long race-based achievement gap. So they put all the whites in, in, in certain classes, they put the blacks in certain classes, the Asians over here, the Hispanics over here. And they have they discriminate, and then they segregate, and they again seem to think that this is somehow going to raise the academic achievement of minority students. Well, this has been done before, and that never works. It's not, it's not the case at all. It says the following. It says, as the Wall Street Journal reports, Evanston Township, a suburb of Chicago, is the latest to introduce the controversial strategy designed to enhance the education experience of students of color, particularly in, advancement, in advanced placement courses, it says. The local school's 3,600 student high school is 44% white, 24% black, 20% Hispanic, and 5% Asian, in a mix of wealthy families and lower-income families. Some have suggested that the voluntary segregation of black, Latino, and white students raises crucial questions about the progress made since the Civil Rights Movement. 
Quote, our black students are, for lack of a better word, at the bottom, consistently still. And they are being outperformed consistently, says Monique Parsons, Evanston School Board Vice President, adding, it's not good. So you're taking individuals who happen to be black, happen to be quote-unquote students there, You've identified them as being the ones struggling when they are around other students, and yet you think that that is the problem. That's not the problem. Putting them in a room so that they look at other people who are just like them isn't going to improve their academic stance on anything. It's actually as useless as this example I've brought up numerous times, which is where teachers will will be required to stare at their students' state-standardized test scores, and that by examining those test scores, the teacher is somehow going to change something in the classroom that's going to improve those test scores, when in fact it has zero impact on the student's academic success whatsoever. Absolutely none. This right here is another perfect example of something that is being implemented and has been implemented before that has zero impact on their success whatsoever. It goes on here. It says, according to Dina Luna, who leads black student achievement initiatives in Minneapolis public schools, quote, a lot of times within our education system, black students are expected to conform to a white standard. What does that mean? (laughs) What does that mean? Be civil? Listen? Ask questions? Think? You see, the, under, the, the underlying issue here is the, the, the constant victim, the victimhood. Again, Thomas Sowell's written endless books about this, but this is, again, part of the problem. This is why you have a dumbing down of students, is because you have the increase in excuse-making. Again, I, if memory serves, I played audio from a previous, uh, a previous story, one that was actually very similar to this, where, again, Certain courses were being offered as electives, and it just so happened that minority students were the ones signing up for it. Like, for example, when a school has an African-American history elective course, it'll be taught by an African-American or a black American, and, uh, and it's typically inhabited by black students. I mean, I guess that's fine, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to learn anything. This right here again is is the real the real bigotry, uh, and and really the the absolute racism. If if one is to believe that that word exists, is that you're assuming that if you take black students and you put them in a, a again a room with nothing but blacks and they have nothing but a black school teacher, that somehow everything is going to improve. Are things going to improve or are they going to stay the same? Are they going to stay the same, or are they going to get worse? And again, this conforming to a white standard. <laughs> My God, what if what what if the tables were turned and we said, "Well, we, we're we're taking the uh, the white students as far away from the blacks as humanly possible because we don't want the whites to conform to the black standard." I mean, if that happened, all hell would break loose. Then we'd be called racists and segregationists and everything else. But they get to do it, and it's 100% fine. 
this, uh, this idiot continued and said, in our spaces, you don't have to shed one ounce of yourself because everything about our space is rooted in blackness. Unquote. Well, that's nice. So they're going to fail. I'm not going to keep reading this. It's useless. Um, yeah. That, that's not going to improve anything. All they're doing is changing the landscape so they think so that they can write it on another piece of paper to make it look like they're improving before the state comes in and completely wipes them out because they're not academically succeeding and nobody is showing up. It's just another patch job on a leaking dam that uh, that's never going to get filled. So there you have it. Okay, jab-related things. Just a couple of things here, and I want to start off with this brief explanation because it requires an explanation. There was an interview that took place with Rand Paul, and he was being interviewed by John Stossel. You may recall John Stossel of old 2020 fame, if memory serves, but either way, he was sitting there, Rand Paul was, Senator Dr. Rand Paul, and he was talking about gain of function. And Stossel asked him, okay, what is gain of function? Now, Rand Paul's explanation of gain of function is the propagandized medical school version of gain of function. This means that it's not the real definition of gain of function. The very term itself is remarkably nefarious because it actually, in its words, gain of function. They're telling you, the enemy is, what they intend to do with said shot that they create. So first of all, his definition of gain of function was, he said, you have a virus over here that exists naturally in the environment, which is impossible because there are no viruses, and then you have a virus over here in a human or in an animal, and you combine them to manipulate them to then be given to somebody in an effort to have that person believe that the thing that they're being injected with is somehow going to save them from said illness. So basically, he's saying it's virus manipulation. He's half right. The real definition of gain of function is that you are seeking to gain a different function of a set of poisons that is then injected into the human being under the guise or the fairy tale of it being a preventative medicine. That's it. Gain of function is you're playing with poison in order to poison people, to either make them permanently sick and or dead. It's, bio it's a fancy term for creating a biological weapon. That's, that's it. So again, with all due respect to Rand Paul, he's wrong. He's just flat out wrong. But again, he's giving the medical school textbook answer of what gain of function is because that's been you know that's been his soapbox with Anthony Fauci is that Anthony Fauci funded gain of function that it was funded by us and our own government along with foreign governments etc cetera, etc cetera. again the ukrainian connection is rarely brought up among politicians i wonder why that's the case there was a clip going around of Oliver Stone on Bill Maher's show looking right at Bill Maher and Oliver Stone looks at him and says Ukraine had biological weapon factories. What were they doing over there? Even Victoria Newland 
commented on it and uh, and openly admitted that that's what they're doing over there. Of course, she called them research labs. There's no research that gets done or has to get done on something that's manufactured by humans. It's not some natural occurring thing. Again, gain of function is just is just poison. That's all it is. It's people playing with poison to gain a different function. And gaining that different function is hurting more people, making it worse. It, it, it doesn't really get much more simple than that. But again, viruses don't exist. There's just poison. You take a dead fermented animal, you suck up its juices into a syringe, you squirt it into a Petri dish, and then you take other fermented crap from another dead animal, suck that out, put it in the same dish as you did the first one, stir it all around, and then suck it up with a brand new syringe, and voila, there's your new vaccine. That's gain of function. And gain of function, quote unquote, happens with every shot. That's how they manufacture them. I can't wait for the American society and the world society as a whole to figure out that every single injection is a biological weapon because none of them heal. None of them prevent anything. It's just not the way that it works. So until that happens, people are going to keep believing these fairy tales and even these fairy tale side stories that the likes of Rand Paul continue to tell people. It's ridiculous. Here's what I want to do too. I want to read a couple of a uh, couple of stories here. Three of these are from Great Awakening, but this one came from AJ just the other day, our favorite California lawyer. Uh, he said the following. This was uh, from just last week, the end of last week. He said, "Hey Sean, message last night from a friend. They said, oh my God, all the blood just left my body. My cousin just wrote the family, and said that his son." who was in his early 20s, died of a cardiac arrest while completing the Philadelphia Marathon. Now here's the odd connection. It says, My cousin is a pulmonologist at Children's Hospital in Philadelphia and works with Dr. Paul Offit, a vaccine zealot. Now if you look, I put this on Gab, if you look up Dr. Paul Offit, you'll recognize the guy's face. This guy was on TV all the time, from inside of his house on Zoom, telling his NBC audience and all these other audiences, MSNBC, you name it, C-SPAN, he was probably on all of them. Again, ramming home the shots themselves. I mean, you talk about a workplace environment and a workplace scenario that has to be super awkward now, that one of his fellow doctors just had their son die. At 20 years old, who was, of course, jabbed to the bone, I'm sure. And now, again, all these individuals are working around one another, and it makes you wonder whether or not they're even asking the question. Well, is it shot-related? Well, if it is, then it must be really rare. And, uh, maybe it was uh, long COVID and all these other excuses that they would bring up. The walls are closing in on these people, I'm telling you what. They can run from it all they want, but they're not going to be able to hide. AJ also said this. He said, funny message from the same friend. They said, quote, I'm cringing because my dad wants to share a car with me from Denver to Boulder, and I don't want to be in the same car as him. He's had like six or seven COVID shots, and he had a couple more recently. I'm thinking I, I'm thinking I make up an excuse to rent my own car 
which I was planning on doing anyway. I think I need to do it for my safety. I just set an alarm to pack ivermectin to protect myself from my own father. This is so flippin' crazy. <laughs> my God, what a nightmare. What a nightmare. Six or seven COVID shots and has had a couple more recently. You know, this is, a, this is the other thing, too. You're seeing more and more, uh, I, well, I would say less vaccine commercials, except for the one that has that football player in it. Who apparently is is dating Taylor Swift? That's really been one of the only vaccine-related commercials that I that I saw on TV this past weekend. And the other one, of course, the exact same commercial is on the radio all the time. You know, get your flu shot and your COVID shot at the exact same time. The old two for one thing, and actually selling people on that. I can't believe people are buying it after all this time and after all this information. It just, it, I don't know, it blows me away. I'm shocked that, uh, that that person's dad isn't glowing inside the car. It's just nuts. Okay, a couple of things here regarding uh, a, few, a few stories from greatawakening.win here. These are some testimonies from particular individuals. Uh, here's one. It was titled, My Sister Got the Shots and Today She Was Diagnosed with Breast Cancer. Says, dear friends, I've been lurking here for some time now, but I need your help and your prayers. I've got a couple of siblings, but one of them has always been special to me. She's my best friend, and we helped each other through some tough years early in our lives, and we kept close for over 50 years. To be honest, I don't think that I would be here today if it wasn't for her. She works as a nurse. Well, there's the first indication. And she's been doing that for more than 30 years. She's the most beautiful and good-hearted person you can imagine, but all of those years in the medical business made her believe the COVID bullshit. I think she got three or four shots, but she knows what I think about it, so she doesn't want to talk to me about it. Yeah. They continued and said, well, today she got the news that she has breast cancer and it was an aggressive form of cancer. She doesn't want to do chemotherapy, but will probably remove both her breasts. I've heard about ivermectin. Is that the best way to go? Or do any of you fantastic people here know what, uh, what I can do to help her before she chooses surgery? We both live in Sweden, if that matters in any way. Thanks, friends. You know, one of the cool things about these chat boards is that a lot of really good people and a lot of knowledgeable people do jump into action in the comments section and provide a great deal of information. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a good thing. And, and they did. I mean, there were a number of comments that were saying, here's a protocol, here's a protocol, take this, take this. But again, when it comes to the shot recipients, I don't know what would work or what wouldn't. So hard to know, but that's, again, just one story out of millions and millions and millions. That's becoming all too common. Here's another one. This is titled, Just Listen to My Vax Boosted Cousin's Wife Complain About How She Was Sick Ten Times This Year, and Then It Must Be Because of the Post-Nasal Drip. Uh, they said, quote, I kept my mouth shut, was asked to refrain from pissing everyone off this Thanksgiving, and I obliged. I just can't wrap my head around the amount of cognitive dissonance needed to avoid the elephant in the room. It truly is amazing. Listening to these people complain about how the real estate market is all over the place and that they can't afford a house. 
how they keep getting sick, how the crime is getting worse where they live, and they're afraid to go out at night. Then two seconds later, say how well of a job Biden is doing. They're glad they got vaxxed and boosted, and that guns are bad. Unquote. It is incredible. Again, the cognitive dissonance is astounding. And the amount of information that's out there that anybody could really look up if they knew how to look it up would, would overwhelm them. And again, it was overwhelming for a lot of us every single time that we realized that, uh, you know, something that we've believed for a very long time isn't true. But when you tell somebody that their entire existence and that everything that they've experienced isn't, isn't real and has been manufactured or manipulated in one way or another, I mean, that's, that's overwhelming. But getting these people to pull themselves out of their own heads for even five seconds is, is very, very difficult. Anyway, I'll end with this. This is a hot off the press's uh, new study here. Shouldn't shock anybody either. Go figure that, uh, you know, healthy food is, is good for us, and actually healthy food helps the cells in our body. This is from ScienceDaily.com, from Science News, and it is titled, Nutrient Found in Beef and Dairy Improves Immune Response to Cancer. This is from November 22nd. University of Chicago, and it says the following. Transvacinic acid, or TVA, a long-chain fatty acid found in meat and dairy products from grazing animals such as cows and sheep, improves the ability of CD8 plus T cells to infiltrate tumors and kill cancer cells, according to a new study by researchers from the University of Chicago. It says the research published this week in Nature also shows that patients with higher levels of TVA circulating in the blood responded better to immunotherapy, suggesting that it could have potential as a nutritional supplement to complement clinical treatments for cancer. It says, quote, there are many studies trying to decipher the link between diet and human health, and it's very difficult to understand the underlying mechanisms because of the wide variety of foods that people eat. But if we focus on just the nutrients and metabolites, if I'm saying that right, derived from food, we begin to see how they influence physiology and pathology, said Ching Chen, Jing Chen, PhD, the Janet Division Rowling Distinguished Service Professor of Medicine at U Chicago, and one of the senior authors of the new study, quote, by focusing on nutrients that can activate T-cell responses, we found one that actually enhances anti-tumor immunity by activating an important immune pathway. And it goes on and on and on. Numerous authors to this particular study. And again, the study itself was titled Transvacinic Acid Reprograms, CD8 plus T-cells in Anti-Tumor Immunity. And there you go. Again, it shouldn't shock people that red meat is good for you. We're supposed to eat it. God put it here for us to eat. That's the entire point. With that said, it also, I think, helps define the enemy's plans as to why they want to manipulate that meat, get rid of it, and then create fake meat for us to eat. Because bioengineered meat isn't meat. And it wrecks our DNA. And wrecking your DNA does what? It increases the likelihood of abnormal cells growing in your body that your body can't get rid of anymore, thereby leading to cancer. 
I have to tell you, I have a little experience in this cancer avenue regarding my nephew when he was two and a half, and he was jabbed with multiple shots, of course, as most children are, and the entire cancer protocol that uh, that these hospitals have parents go through and and tell their tell their children and you know tell the parents who have a cancer stricken child to basically follow along with and just go along with one of the things that I'll never forget was they of course they had him on chemo and radiation and the whole thing because he had leukemia um but at the exact same time I've been over the history of cancer here it it didn't exist in children before the invention of vaccination. So that's number one. So vaccines caused it. Stop giving vaccines and you won't have any more childhood cancer. It is that simple. That's number one. Number two, the protocol that they had him on beyond the medicine and and the steroids that, that he was taking is I'll never forget their cancer doctor looked at them, looked at my brother and his wife, and they said, when he's on these drugs, he's going to get very hungry. And you should let him eat whatever he wants. Now, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because what's one of the largest causes of cancer, from a habitual standpoint anyway? It's sugar consumption. So one of the things, again, he's alive, which is great, and he's, he's completely fine. But one of the things that was occurring was is he was eating cookies that he would dip in ranch dressing. Chocolate chip cookies and ranch dressing was kind of one of his go-tos. And again, the cancer doctors themselves were saying, oh, that's fine. That's fine. Again, let him eat whatever he wants. You know, don't worry about it. But then they would say this. They would say, do you have a pet? And they'd say, yeah, we have a dog. And they'd say, well, you have to get rid of the dog. So, of course, my parents took the dog. And then they'd say, you know, do you have flowers in your house? They'd say, yeah. And they'd say, well, you're not allowed to have flowers in your house. You shouldn't have flowers in your house. So you can't have a pet and you can't have flowers in your house, but you can consume copious amounts of sugar because the doctor said so. Because being hungry is a side effect from the drugs that you're on, and the more food that they consume, the better it is for them. This is how backwards and upside down the entire medical industry is. And the solution was remarkably simple. He should have been eating fruits, vegetables, ivermectin, and fenbendazole, along with high doses of vitamin C and vitamin D3, getting outside as much as humanly possible, and, and that's, that's it. But nope, you know, radiation, chemotherapy, steroids, and then let them eat whatever they want whenever they want it. That's, the, again, that's the medical industry in a nutshell. They have everything backwards. Their alleged cure is, in fact, the cause of all of their problems. And then they just rinse and repeat time and time again. Again, I I don't think that these doctors have any idea what's really going on. They have no clue. You would think, again, that as cancer doctors, they would at the very least go back in time and learn about the history of cancer, if they can even find the factual history of it. And you would think, again, that they would investigate what that is and then do their best to apply a factual protocol, or at the very least, read a book about what kills cancer, which, as we all know, is oxygen. So why don't you just 
do things that increase the likelihood of oxygen inside of the body. And as it turns out, one of those things is eating red meat and dairy products. Again, we all know it's big business, but I, I actually believe that there are morally sound people who are still doctors and actually still work in these environments. There have to be. There's no way that everybody is brainwashed. I mean, they're all brainwashed. I, sh- I shouldn't say that. They're all brainwashed. But if presented with the truth and the factual evidence, would they continue to just toe the party line, so to speak, read those same protocol emails that the hospital's been dishing out forever? and saying, well, we have a so-and-so success rate with this based on our protocol, and that's why it hasn't changed. Well, what if you had a 100% success rate instead of a 90-some-odd percent or a 70-some-odd percent? What if it was 100%? And what if that meant that the protocol completely changed and you stopped wiping out the cells inside of the human body with radiation and chemotherapy? Doesn't that deplete cells in the body? Doesn't that wipe oxygen out of cells? Of course it does. It just, I think, lends itself to the fact that we have to continue to be our own doctors. That's a never-ending thing, and that's a big step for a lot of people, but it's a very important step to take, no doubt about it. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I'll catch you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.